Hello, everyone. I'm Wendy Myers. Welcome to the Myers Detox Podcast. And on today's show, we're going to be talking about is bone broth contaminated with heavy metals and is it safe to drink? You know, this is a question I've definitely wondered myself. I researched it. I have an article on MyersDetox.com about this specific subject as well. And I wanted to do a show on this because, you know, I know there's people out there that get concerned. They hear that, oh, there's lead in bone broth or there's there's heavy metals in, in animal products and the animals bioaccumulate heavy metals and toxins more so and want to become vegan or vegetarian because of that. But the reality is that all of our food supply is contaminated to a degree. So uh, you, you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know, uh, we're going to talk about today whether bone broth is safe to drink. Does it have high levels of lead? Uh, we'll talk about the research that surprisingly shows that organic and conventional bone broths have about the same level of metals in contamination. We'll also talk about collagen protein powders. Uh, those are super, super popular. Are they the same uh, or are they a replacement for drinking bone broth? And uh, we're going to talk about you know some interesting distinctions there. And we'll talk about some people who should avoid bone broth. It's not for everybody. It's a panacea for some. Um, can be a poison for others. So we'll discuss you know, about four different situations where people should avoid bone broth temporarily. And we'll also talk about some tips on how to incorporate bone broth into your diet. So I know you guys listening to this show, you're worried about heavy metals and toxins. So I created a quiz to help you discover your relative levels of toxic body burden. So if you go to heavymetalsquiz.com, it's heavymetals with an S, quiz.com. You can take a two minute quiz. I, I ask you a bunch of lifestyle questions and help to determine your relative levels of toxins in your body. And then after the quiz, you get your results and you get a free video series that helps answer a lot of your questions about detox, where to start, what kind of testing you should you do, what kind of supplements or protocols you need to do to start you know, detoxing your body of heavy metals and chemicals. So go check that out at heavymetalsquiz.com. Our guest, Laura, is a functional medical pharmacist and a clinical nutritionist based in New York City. She's a graduate of the Ernest Mario School of Pharmacy of Rutgers University, and she spent 20 years in community pharmacy practice. After developing an interest in nutrition, she earned an MS in nutrition from the University of Bridgeport and qualified as a certified nutrition specialist, as well as an Institute for Functional Medicine certified practitioner. Laura currently practices as part of a multidisciplinary functional medicine practice and supervises a professional mentorship program for nutrition and functional medicine. She's the co-owner of Pharmacy Evolutions, a functional medicine education platform and consulting group focused on professional development for pharmacists. Laura is also an adjunct professor of nutritional biochemistry at the University of Bridgeport. Uh, you can learn more about Laura and her work and work with her at her functional medicine practice, drkarafitzgerald.com. Laura, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thank you for having me. 
So we're going to talk about bone broth and heavy metals and toxins in bone broth. So why is bone broth important? So why has it become so trendy? So it's interesting. A few years ago, I think if you told me that one day in New York City, we would be like picking up some bone broth at the brothery and just walking around and sipping on it, I would have told you that you're crazy who would want to do that. But it really has become this major trend where I even found out that some of the local brotheries based in Brooklyn are actually shipping across the country now during 2020 COVID pandemic, they've started to ship nationally. And I think it really goes to highlight how folks are getting on the bone broth wagon. There's a few reasons I think for that. One, the first thing that I think comes to most of our minds is that it's very healing for the gut. There are some specific amino acids and specific minerals and nutrients that help to support gut healing, quite restorative. And so I think that's the biggest reason I think uh, folks are gravitate towards it. It's got a really nice balance of minerals too. So you get this really dense, rich grouping of minerals. And I think it's, it's because of that balance, it can be really restorative. And then there's the piece where it does support collagen rebuilding. And so collagen, of course, makes up our skin, our hair, our nails. And so just adding that extra little boost can be really nourishing. And, and, and you could see the results. You could see the benefits. And who doesn't want shiny hair and bright skin and, and great nails? The other piece of it is, you know, that old, old wives uh, or old fashioned thinking about using bone broth when you get sick, you know, chicken soup when you're, when you're getting, catching a cold or when you're not feeling so well. And it turns out that we do get a lot of the benefits from bone broth, from the immune boosting potential, probably having something to do with how it supports our gut, but also because of the way that those nutrients come together, how we pull some of those immune factors from the collagen, from the bone of the animal that we're using, all that comes together and just works beautifully and synergistically and helps to support our immune system. So it turns out that grandma was right and chicken soup is good for the soul and for your immune system too. Yeah, and there's research to support that. That it, There is it, research that supports all of this. Yeah, so grandma was really smart. <laughs> yes, yeah, it reduces the length and duration of a cold and severity of it as well. Exactly. Yeah, and then it's great for joints too. I mean, I think that in our in, in the United States, we don't have enough culture of eating soups and broths. Like in around the world, they don't let anything go to waste, any of the animal you know, they're, whatever's left over, they're making soup out of it. And we just don't, people are not eating enough soups and that's what I, I joints are you, failing. And yeah. And I love that you brought that up. This idea of using the full animal from tip to tail, right? You use the meat, you eat the meat, you use the organs, and then you use the, the cartilage and the bones that are left over and you make this beautiful soup out of it. And I think we think of soup, you know, we think of pulling it out of the can and all the sodium and all the junk that goes along with that. But soup really traditionally soup has been made from these leftovers. And it's just another beautiful way to sort of use up the whole animal. Yeah. Just milk every last mineral you can suck out of that, the animal. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. You don't need glucosamine chondroitin supplements that you get it in soup. You get it in broth. 
No, and I'm so, some, yeah. yeah. There's something to be said, right? Like there's something to be like how much less joint pain and, and yeah, absolutely. The whole point of just bringing the, the anti-aging movement really has really highlighted this piece, right? We think of anti-aging, we think of cosmetic things, but anti-aging is also thriving well into your 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, hundreds, right? And it's a lot of these practices, when you look at some of those longevity studies, revolve around these traditional ways of eating and these traditional ways of using animals, using everything from the land, pulling it together. And again, I think it goes back to the synergy. It's not bone broth by itself, but it's the synergy of everything together. Because when you make a bone broth, you're usually also adding vegetables, you're adding root vegetables, you're adding carrots and celery and onions and garlic and all these other beautiful aromatic herbs. And you're putting that together. Maybe you're adding some more oils, adding some more anti-inflammatory benefit, and it all just comes together beautifully, right? And I think all that together, the energy that goes into making it, the sort of the camaraderie in the kitchen when someone's cooking and, and the beautiful aromas that surround the kitchen and, and flow into the house, that's all a part of it. And I think that's part of the traditional cooking that we've lost a little bit in the last few years. I think it's making a little bit of a comeback, but I think there is something to be said about that. Yeah, I mean, I love making bone broth. I mean, I, whenever I'm having chicken or I'm cooking other things, I'll save up all the bones and I'll, I'll stick those in the freezer and then just they're ready to go. Whenever I want to make bone broth, you just stick some herbs and some salt and pepper and some, I put, it's just so easy to make. You just throw it in a pot with some water. Especially and, if you have know, a pressure cooker. It's yeah. so mm -hmm. easy in a pressure cooker, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's kind of funny. I have like it, like a, all these carcasses in my freezer. Cause every time we, every time <laughs> I have like a whole chicken or I've got leftover bones from, from um, some, something that I bought, it's like stick, it goes in the freezer and they just piles up. So I'm never at a loss for bones and they're selling bones. Now you could get them at the butcher. You could get them at whole foods. They're so easy to buy because it's become more common now to request them. So yeah, never a shortage. Yeah, you just, I'll make a big batch of it, a big pot of it and put it in like little freezer, like little, you know, plastic yeah. things to freeze it. And I have it for months and you yep. can make rice. I always make rice with it. I'll, I'll use it as a base for a lot of different One dishes. One of my biggest pet peeves is not using bone broth or yes. stock for rice. Like yes. it, it makes such a difference in the, the, the flavor. It's like night and day. It, it's life-changing. If you've never used stock to make your rice, life-changing. Yeah. It makes it so much healthier too. And I'm yeah. so happy. I just moved to Mexico and I found a place that makes beef bone broth. I don't love making beef bone broth. Yeah. Um, it's a little bit more, you know, it's a little harder. It's harder to get enough bones to make it. Yeah. I and you have it. to kind of skim it and there's just a yeah. little details there. So I found this place that makes organic bone broth. I'm like, I can't believe it in Mexico. I can, I can awesome. eat my broth. Um, but yeah, there's a big concern about heavy metals in bone broth. And I think a lot of misinformation out there that uh, and, and i think when people hear oh my god there's lead in bones there's there must be lead and other heavy metals in bone broth they just think oh well i just need to avoid bone broth now and what people don't understand is that all food has some degree of contamination we can't throw the baby out with the bath water we have to you know vegetables uh, have toxins in them um you know your water can have toxins in them so it so talk about the the heavy metals in bone broth and is it really uh the concern it's made out to be on the internet 
this great question. Okay, so well, let me start by saying the reason this took off is there is some truth. There's always some truth to something, right? And yes, you we absolutely as animals as well as humans, we do tend to store metals in our bone. That is absolutely true. In fact, we're finding women of, of this generation that are starting to go into osteoporosis or have been going to, into osteoporosis are of the generation that grew up around lead paint, right? So they grew up their entire life. They didn't start removing lead paint until the 70s or 80s, right? And so they've had a lot of previous exposure to lead. They go through osteoporosis now, they start losing bone. What happens? They start leaching lead. And now all of a sudden we see these dramatic jumps in the amount of lead, even though they ha don't have any current exposure to lead. So there is some truth that we do get metals in, in bone, as do animals. Another source of contamination is soil. So you have a factory somewhere, certain metals are, um, go, get into the air, they end up landing in the soil, the, the cow eats that grass that's grown in that soil, it takes on that heavy metal load, that starts to accumulate. And the other place besides the bone that we usually hold on to metals is in fat, in subcutaneous fat in particular, so under, under our skin. So that starts to accumulate. You slaughter the animal, you use the bones to make broth. And the question has always been, does that translate to increased amounts of metal in the broth? Now, you have to keep in mind a couple of things. There is a chemical reaction that's happening when we make bone broth in a traditional way. There's acid combining with heat, and if you're using a pressure cooker, there's also pressure on top of that. That actually creates a solution where you get parts of the metals and some of the minerals to separate from the rest of the solution, right? The other thing that happens is that most of us, when we make broth, we also tend to skim that kind of gunky fat layer that ends up accumulating at the top. And as I said before, uh, metals love to sit in fat. So if you remove that fat piece, you're also ending up removing some of those minerals and some of those metals as well. So between those two processes, it turns out, you know, we theorize and we said, you know, it turns out that would, it, would that actually reduce the amount of metal that then is in the bone broth? And that actually, that question came up in our clinic uh, a couple of years ago. And we we're sitting around talking and saying, well, you know, it, we think, and there has been talk about there being less metal in broth than there would be if you just, I don't know why you would chew on the bone, but if you just chewed on the bone as it is, you're going to have less exposure to that, to that metal. And we actually set out to figure out if this was true. So we ended up uh, taking some samples and sending them off to a lab so that we can measure the amount of minerals as well as the amount of metals. One more piece I want to add to that is that minerals like calcium and iron end up actually blocking absorption of other heavy metals like lead, cadmium, or mercury. So in cases where we see folks are depleted or not eating enough of those minerals, we might also see cases where they have elevated exposure, elevated amounts of circulating heavy metals. So knowing that there's minerals in bone broth, 
we also wanted to measure the amount of minerals that are in the bone broth so that we could see if there was an imbalance of those two. There was a lot of those minerals that could also help protect us from any potential contaminants as well. That's such a good point because I love to make these distinctions like this so that people aren't fearful of a bone broth, which is so nutritious. You need to be adding this to your, to your diet more so than you are right now. So I, in one, how I found you guys, I was actually researching an article on bone broth and it, is it really toxic? Is it really something to be concerned about? And, and you work with a functional medicine team under the direction of Dr. Kara Fitzgerald and you guys, I love that you guys did this research study to investigate lead and, and toxic minerals in uh, different bone broths and collagen supplements. A lot of people are concerned about gelatin and, and collagen protein powders and thing like, things like that. So can you talk about the, what initiated that study and, and just some of the results of that as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. So we're giant nerds. Um, yeah. And... <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it is, it is what it is. Um, and we meet once a week, our entire team meets once a week, and we will sometimes get into these discussions. And one of the questions that came up was exactly that. You know, you, here we are recommending bone broth to everybody, recommending collagen supplements. We'll often use collagen-based proteins. Are we doing more harm than good? Or is this something that we should continue to promote? Because yeah, things could be trendy. That doesn't mean that you don't want to take an analytical look at it and just make sure that it's appropriate. And most importantly, that it's appropriate for everybody. That's a really important point to make. Something might be great, but it doesn't mean it's great for you. And I want to recognize that not everybody does great on bone broth. Not everybody tolerates bone broth. Not everybody wants to have bone broth and that's okay. But we wanted to know a little bit more about the potential for toxic accumulation if we were recommending a lot of bone broth a lot of the time, right? So we actually worked out a deal with one of the labs that we use often for some of the functional medicine testing, the advanced functional medicine testing, their name is Doctors Data, and they agreed to, to, to help us out. And so this little thought experiment kind of grew and we did a, one of my colleagues actually made some bone broth. She made a batch of organic boned bone broth, conventional bone broth. We got some store-bought organic bone broth. And then we also got a collagen protein supplement, you know, like the collagen powder. And we sent it off to the lab and we had them compare. And then we got all the data. They pulled some of the mineral content as well as the heavy metal content. And there was some surprising results. You know, we did not expect, we did not expect, first of all, to be that surprised. We sort of had our biases of what we thought would work. You know, I think a lot of people are listening probably like, oh, I bet the organic was so much better and the conventional wasn't great. I can't tell you all the results of this because it's actually a pretty long report. We ended up asking 11 different questions and answering 11 different questions. So you have to read the whole thing or else we'll, we'll be here all day. But I'll give yeah, you some and, of the highlights. And I'll give you guys a link to that study uh, down in the, the podcast show notes on myrcdetox.com. There'll be a link for it if you want to uh, read it. It's really, really good. I highly recommend it. It's so interesting. I mean, like it's so, there's so many awesome details in there. And if you're nerds like we are, I think you'll really love it. First of of all, one of the surprising things is there wasn't a big difference in the bone broth between the conventional and the organic. And that was surprising. 
um, and actually really made us feel better because you can't always get a hold of organic or financially it may not be accessible or you might sort of grab what's available on the shelf and it may not always be organic. So it was good to, to know there wasn't a significant difference between organic and non-organic. Now, we're not sure why. We think it might have something to do with the way we made it. We use the same exact method of preparation for both batches, for the conventional and the organic. And so again, it might be a combination of like the chemistry that's happening and the fact that she skimmed off that fat layer as well. And that might've reduced some of the potential exposure to the toxins. So that was great news. The other thing we found, we discovered is that the amount of lead in particular was less than the amount of what the EPA deems as safe in, in drinking water, which was great because you're not gonna drink as much bone broth as you will water. And so as long as you are drinking a, you know, a normal about one, two, three cups of bone broth a day, you're gonna be well, well, well below what is already in drinking water. So that also made us feel really safe and comfortable to say, yeah, I think it's okay for us to be recommending bone broth to our patients. So that was awesome. The other thing we also found out was there are a significant amount of minerals in the bone broth. Well, we knew that, but it was nice to get that confirmation. And remember, having a good mineral content boosts the ability for you to block off the potential absorption of heavy metals. And that not only is the heavy metal that's in the bone broth, but that could be other heavy metal exposures. So sort of helping to recalibrate and rebalance some of those minerals in general is gonna protect you from exposure to heavy metals, whether it be from your bone broth or just from living on this planet in this, you know, in, in 2021, right? So those were, you know, kind of the highlights and the big takeaways for us. And it, like I said, made us feel really confident moving forward and whether we recommended for folks to make it at home for the folks that really like to do the at-home method or the folks that don't have time and want to go buy it off the shelf, we knew as long as it was being made the right way that we were pretty safe to be uh, recommending it to our patients. And then what about the collagen protein powders? Because they're so popular right now and there are just so many different collagen protein, vital proteins, and so many different brands out there that are really doing a lot of heavy marketing yeah. with the collagen protein powders. What is your take on those and the safety of those? Yeah, so here's something that I learned and I did not know this until we started digging in deeper when we did this report. Collagen protein is not typically from bone. Did you know that? You know, I haven't really looked so much into the sourcing because I'm not a big protein powder well, you person. Think, you would think it's a <laughs> collagen protein and you would think like, well, collagen comes from bones and cartilage, right? That's typically where we get it from. That's how we make our bone broth. And you would think that that's where it com comes from. But as it turns out that collagen powders, and these are like the high quality ones. This is like, we looked at the good stuff are actually primarily come from skin. And skin does contain collagen, so it's not a bad place. And we talked about, you know, using the whole animal from tip to tail. So I'm not necessarily opposed to that. But that means that the nutrient, the mineral, and the metal composition is going to be different in the protein powder versus the bone broth. 
right? And there was a, a variable, there was a difference in, in the two. And that was a big aha moment for us. And we're like, so it is not a substitute. So collagen powder is not a substitute for bone broth. It's not going to be the same thing. Uh, for the most part, when we looked at the samples, they were pretty low in terms of heavy metals. I wasn't, we weren't worried about the heavy metal content. Now, some companies actually go out of their way to provide heavy metal reports, which is awesome. And I think if you are using a particular company and they provide that, I think it's a good idea to use it. But most of them were super, super low. Most of them seemed safe. They were below what the EPA deems as, as, as problematic. So from a safety and toxicity perspective, it wasn't problematic. Now, there have been a few reports of a couple of companies where there were elevated amounts of certain metals. I'm going to guess without, you know, without really knowing that those particular um, cases might have been anomalies or a particular contamination issue with certain batches or maybe a manufacturing process that's unique to that company. But generally speaking, protein powders or the collagen proteins seem to be pretty safe. I would recommend sourcing from cleaner varieties. And when we did do a sample, the particular brand that we use, and we mentioned the details about it in the report, was not organic certified, but they do use pasture-raised cattle, and they are raised in Brazil and Argentina, where the practices are are pretty much the, the closest and probably are, are even better than organic practices. So we didn't feel that the certification for organic was necessary. And that seemed to have even less contamination than what we've seen sort of reported in for other companies. So we don't necessarily think that stamp of organic is necessary, but the source and the way that those animals are raised, I think is very important. Yeah, and the, you know the organic certification is so expensive. It's not feasible for certain manufacturers. And yeah, I like that you make that that point. The distinction is you have to just call your manufacturer and figure out the the source. Where is this coming from? Absolutely. Yeah, and I, I love that you made that distinction. The collagen protein powders are not a replacement for bone broth. They never are. There's never like a quick fix. And that's, I'm not a you know protein powders are they're processed. Exactly. They're, they're a, a processed powdered product for convenience. And, you know, yeah, they provide nutrition. Great. But you just get more bang from your buck just boiling your chicken bones. It's, it's not hard to do. It takes Absolutely. a few hours. <laughs> I, it's, it's not hard to do. You can buy it store-bought, you know, and you still get that benefit. So if you really don't have the time or you have a super small freezer and you can't freeze that many bones... There is a secondary option. I'll be honest with you. I do recommend sometimes the collagen protein powders for folks can be convenient. They can be really helpful for specifically replacing collagen for hair, nail, skin, and joint issues. There are actually some great professional brands that I've also used and recommended to my clients, especially for like joint stuff or folks that have had surgery. I have one person that had knee surgery. And so we put him on a nice collagen support specifically because we do know there is some really nice research that those collagen supplements can help to reduce inflammation and speed up healing. And so there is some nice therapeutic uses for them. If we're talking though about day to day, go for the food, go for the bone broth. 
And you know, for me, the the store bought you know canned bone broth, they just don't have the same flavor. They really uh, don't. They just don't taste as good, <laughs> and it's so easy to make your own. I have some recipes on MyersDetox.com. Uh, I have a one for beef broth and one for chicken broth. Super easy to make. And so you mentioned some contraindications for bone broth. Can you talk about some of the downsides of bone broth and some, you know, some things that people need to look out for that might be react to bone broth? Absolutely. So one of the things you have to keep in mind is bone broth can be higher in sodium. So if you are somebody who is restricted to the amount of sodium that you can have, then you want to be monitor the amount of uh, bone broth that you have. Or if you're making your own bone broth, you could sort of control a little bit the amount of uh, salt that goes in there. But just keep in mind that that is something to pay attention to. Now, I will argue that most people who are sodium restricted, there's probably more that we want to do a little bit more upstream and functional medicine and personalized nutrition. We're always thinking about, well, why is the sodium sensitivity happening? So there might be some electrolyte imbalances that we can work on, some hydration techniques that we can work on, just making sure you're drinking enough water in general, uh, that you're getting all the other uh, important electrolytes like magnesium and potassium and that the, all those are in balance. And often we can help to reduce that sensitivity to sodium. But it is important to know you know, to pay attention to that. The other piece is I have found because it's so rich in certain amino acids, folks who are specifically sensitive to glutamine, who might get anxiety when they get a lot of glutamine, sometimes don't do well on bone broth. That added amount of glutamine that's in the bone broth converts to another form of that amino acid called glutamate that causes excitation. And that glutamate is known as a neuroexcitatory compound. And so that can cause a little uptick in some people's anxiety, right? Now, I will also argue from a functional perspective that that conversion and that, that sensitivity is often due to either a genetic thing where you just make too much of that, and it could be due to deficiencies of other minerals like magnesium. So sometimes those folks, because there's magnesium in the bone broth, or if you really focus on eating a lot of magnesium rich foods, or you add some more vegetables in there that contain magnesium, that can help offset that, that difference. So some people, it doesn't, it, the bone broth doesn't bother them, even if they are a little sensitive to maybe a glutamine supplement. So those are two things. The third one is some folks with some dysbiosis issues like SIBO, or they have some other imbalances in the microbiome. When I say dysbiosis, that's when you have an overgrowth of some bad bacteria or viruses or fungus or mold and an undergrowth of the good stuff that makes up the healthy microbiome. And so if you have a condition like that, some folks, some of the ingredients in the bone broth, some of the amino acids in there, some of the nutrients in there might aggravate some of that. And that in those cases, they won't do great when they have bone broth. Those are very specific examples. I would say I have found that most people tolerate bone broth just fine. And if you do find yourself in one of those categories that I just mentioned, working with a nutritionist who understands those things, they can help to rebalance that piece. And you can start enjoying bone broth after that. And what about histamines? A lot of people right now have you know, histamine reactions and their immune system is, is just kind of out of whack and they're responding negatively to 
otherwise healthy foods. Can you talk about that? Absolutely. So histamine is one of those amino acids that can trigger that response. So histamine is something that our body, our immune system releases as a reaction when we're exposed to something that is um, that triggers our immune response. A, a basic example would be allergy season, right? In the spring, grass pollen starts to come up. Folks who have seasonal allergies, y'all know what I'm talking about, that, that pollen starts to come up and all of a sudden you're sneezy, your eyes are watery, your nose is runny, you're, you're a hot mess, right? What's happening there is that you've got part of your immune system called a mast cell. It's one of these little, I call it a, like a water balloon, and it's circulating around in your body. And this pollen comes up against it, sort of cracks that water balloon and releases histamine all over the place. And that histamine essentially initiates this allergic response and you get all those symptoms like the sneezing and the runny eyes and, and all that and all that stuff. That's why we use antihistamines like the diphenhydramine, the Benadryls, et cetera. What that does is it blocks the histamine and it helps to dry up some of those symptoms so you don't get as much of that allergic response symptom. Well, as it turns out, folks who have certain dysbiosis might produce more histamine and some folks that have certain genetic mutations, um, we call them SNPs, might also have an enzyme that's responsible for breaking down the histamine. It slows down. And so that particular enzyme is DAO. So you either have a slow DAO and or you might have some dysbiosis. And what ends up happening is you get this accumulation of histamine. And it's like you've got a sink that's filling up and filling up and filling up and it's clogged. It won't drain, right? So you add a food that's high in histamine and all of a sudden the sink overflows and you feel like garbage, you don't feel well. Like you feel like you're allergic to something or you're sensitive to something. And some people have rashes as a result. Some people will get the classic allergy response as a result. Some people get headaches. Uh, some people, it changes their ability to focus. They can't concentrate. They get a little brain foggy as a result. So there's a lot of different ways it manifests. That said, I have found that once people those people initially benefit from removing high histamine foods. Uh, animal proteins, bone broth, those happen to be high histamine foods. There's a, there's a list of those foods that you could remove. But really, again, from a functional medicine perspective, we want to go upstream. And what we want to do is try to support improving the drainage. We want to like unclog that drain by fixing the balance of the microbiome and doing a good GI gut restoration, as well as supporting our epigenetics so that we can encourage that enzyme, that DAO enzyme, to act a little bit better, a little bit faster. And we can actually improve both those things through diet, lifestyle, and focusing on certain nutrients and certain herbs, unclog that sink, improve that flow of the histamine out, and most people, again, can go back to enjoying bone broth. Yeah, there's always a workaround. So always, I want to say almost always a workaround. There's always going to be some folks that it's, there's certain foods that they don't tolerate. Always going to be some folks where there's just certain genetics, the way they just are like made up, you know, improving one might help a little bit of the way, um, but not 100% of the way. And so it's understanding those nuances. But I have found in most folks that I work with, once we sort of start cracking away at those underlying pieces, man, you can get 
so far, right? You can, you can actually end up improving tolerance to whereas, yeah, maybe you can't, maybe that thing bothers you if you have too much of it, but you know, an accidental exposure, having a little bit too much of that histamine food is not going to break the bank. It's not going to ruin everything. And you're still going to be able to bounce right back and, you know, carry on and feel okay, great. Right, right. And so, yeah. so how are you using bone broth in, in your practice as part of, you know, some therapeutic interventions that you're yeah. using with bone broth? I love this question. So when, when we're prescribing dietary protocols, we are describing therapeutic dietary interventions. And so we are using everything at our disposal in order to do that. And often that means trying to ramp up certain nutrients that we know are going to target and help support certain pathways, whether that's upregulating certain enzymes and certain genetic functions, whether that's supporting detoxification, healing the gut, balancing out some hormones. We're really like trying to use food in like targeted ways. And sometimes I need a creative vehicle to get it there. So not only is the bone broth itself got some therapeutic benefits, right? That's going to help heal the gut. It's going to help support a little bit of detoxification. It's got some collagen boosting support. It helps support cognition. It helps support bone health. There's all these great benefits to it, but it's an awesome vehicle. So a lot of times what I have folks do is use the bone broth and then have them maybe like heat it up with some turmeric and ginger, right? And all of a sudden now you've got this added boost of turmeric and ginger, which are in the, of themselves great antioxidants, great anti-inflammatories. They got a little antimicrobial activity. So in and of itself, that is therapeutic. Sometimes I'll have people blend in some vegetables, right? We're challenging them to maybe increase the amount of vegetables or leafy greens they're getting in or certain vegetables that I want them to have because they have certain nutrient profiles that I really want to focus on. Well, guess what? Stick it in the bone broth, heat it up, puree it in there, and you've got this delicious soup. Easy way to just boost the amount of nutrients. Sometimes we'll do like a savory smoothies, particularly in the winter. We're up in the Northeast. We're based in Connecticut. And in the winter, a lot of people, the last thing they want to do is blend up a cold smoothie. Um, so sometimes we'll use the bone broth as a beautiful savory base and then we'll do a savory smoothie instead. Same concept, you're still getting that carrier, that vehicle for all those nutrients, but rather than being cold, it's warmer. You know, you could do it with nice warming spices with it and throw in a couple of vegetables as well and maybe even a little extra protein, a little extra fat and boom, you've got a beautiful warm breakfast. Yeah, because you're right. Uh, a soup, a blended soup, is it really a smoothie, right? It's just a warm smoothie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not soup, it's smoothie. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. It just makes it a little bit interesting, changes things up. And like I said, it just pr it's, it provides a vehicle and the vehicle itself is super nutritious. But gosh, you could add so much to it and really like dial it up. Is there anything else you want to add to the conversation about bone broth? You know, bone broth is just one of those like beautiful things and we can really sort of focus on what it does and, and how healthy it is. But at the end of the day, I think the thing I really appreciate the most, the most about it is the fact that it is leaning on those traditional practices, right? I like to encourage my patients to make their bone broth. Uh, one, I do think it tastes better. I think you're 100% right. When you make it at home, it just tastes better. I can add all the 
herbs and spices and root vegetables and garlic and onion and, and just really make it super flavorful. And all those other nutrients are just going to add to the benefit of it. But I think it also creates a habit where you are taking your time to nourish your body, not just in what you put in it, but the intention that you put behind creating something. And especially if you're creating this for your family and all of you are going to enjoy it, there's just something really magical about being able to put that intention behind the preparation and tap into the roots of something. I also love the idea of using the whole animal. I just love the idea that I might buy a whole chicken, I might enjoy the meat, I might use the organ meat, and then I might also use the leftover bones and cartilage to make a bone broth. And it's truly just using the entire animal and respecting the life of that animal. I just think there's something really beautiful about that. And the whole practice, I think, is just so grounded in tradition. And that's something I think we could all use a little bit more of, slowing down and going back to the roots and thinking of nourishment, not just in terms of what we put in our body, but also the process and the, and the preparation and the intention that goes behind it. So everyone stop listening to this podcast and go make some bone broth and go drink some or make some. Yeah. And so, so tell us a little bit about your, like what you do, like your practice, where we can find you or we can learn more about your work. Absolutely. So come find me over at drcarafitzgerald.com. Our practice is a functional medicine practice based in Connecticut. I am one of the nutritionists there on the team. I'm also the nutrition team manager. We offer nutrition consultations remotely. So wherever you are right now listening, whether you're in beautiful Mexico or you're up here in the Northeast with me, we're happy to chat with you. Everything is done via Zoom. I think everybody's become a Zoom expert now. So I feel like everybody's super comfortable in Zoom. So you can come see us in your PJs. But we also have an awesome blog Uh, Dr. Fitzgerald does an amazing podcast with tons of brilliant functional medicine experts. So that is worth checking out. And then come find me on Instagram because honestly, I spend way too much time there. So I could use some company. (laughs) So you could come find me at Foodie Pharmacist. And I talk a lot about this kind of stuff, traditional food, traditional eating, the benefits of nutrition and using nutrition as medicine. That's kind of my jam. All right. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, I'm all about that too. Ancestral eating, paleo, and, you know, going back to how we've evolved to eat over millions of years. We need bone broth for sure as part of that equation. Here, Uh, here. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Well, thanks for coming on. It was delightful to have you on and kind of settle the score that bone broth is safe to eat. But don't forget, go check out the and download the report. It's really, really good. There's also specific recommendations for specific brands as well, which is really, really helpful. So go check that out at what's the website again? DrCaraFitzgerald.com. Yeah, you can download the report there. So everyone, thanks for tuning in. I'm Wendy Myers of MyersDetox.com. Thanks for tuning in to the Myers Detox podcast every week. It's, it's my pleasure to, to serve you and help you, know, help you guys make these distinctions and help teach you about how to take care of your body and adding that really important component of detoxification, which is the missing piece of the puzzle for so many people in their, their health mystery. So thanks for tuning in and I'll talk to you guys next week. 
The Myers Detox Podcast is created and hosted by Wendy Myers. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Wendy Myers and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.